It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our host, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Well, hello. Hey, how are you? Uh, hot, sweaty, out of breath, running a little late. My apologies. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, we're beekeepers, so that's normal. I mean, we are, but it I didn't have to go look at the hive, you know, 30 <laughs> minutes before the recording was supposed to start. Um, I had this, this thought in my mind. I was like, crap, I was going to do that like three or four days ago, but it was 99 and heat index is well over 100. So I was like, not going to do it. We had a cold front coming through this weekend, so I'll do it this weekend. And then yesterday I spent all day trying to get the rest of the wire up on the chicken coop because we've been having raccoon palooza out here like every night. Oh, no. um, and so then today at 30 minutes before we should have started, I was like, oh, crap, I still got to go look at the top bar. I haven't done that. I got to make sure they're not cross combing, which they started. Uh-huh. <laughs> They, I saw your um, Instagram post with you get a full comb or almost a full. There was like two thirds of a comb. Yeah, that was um, that was when they four days after putting them in the box when they started actually like oh, expanding over. Oh, that's an old post you're telling me. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're behind. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't to the but to your credit, I don't think I've posted much anything since then. So no. it's the most recent post I did, but it was yes. from like two three weeks ago at this point. Right, right, right. Um, now. We're up to seven bars and Ooh. it they've got one little baby comb and it was so like they may still be expanding, um, but she had started moving the brood nest over into those combs and now they're backfilling those combs and she's moving the brood nest back towards the nuke box, which I'm like, grr, um, but that's okay, whatever. If, if they decide to not follow my plan, I can make it to where they can overwinter in both. It's fine. You can also... Um put a queen excluder between the Langstroth uh, nook box and I your five. I actually, uh, those came in on Tuesday. I ordered some plastic ones that I could cut to fit and mm -hmm. put in there. So I already have that concept in mind to do, but my right. plan was I wanted, since how she was moving the brood nest that way, I was hoping that she would continue and then I would just stick that in place. But now she's got it divided 50, 50 between the box and the first two or three bars and the, yeah. the hive. So so I'm like, well, fine. Um, but otherwise they're doing good. But the combs on the outer, they were starting to get fatter and it was starting to make it to where they were building the next comb at the back edge of the bar instead of in the middle of the bar. So I had to do a little bit of uh, correcting and I, I had to shave yeah. off one and I had to like smush and bend one. And so Butter it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's why my, you know, as planned five to 10 minute inspection was like 20 minutes of. Right. manipulation and tweaking but in the grand scheme of things that's only 20 minutes it's not that bad you know no, when you're and it, that's 20 minutes in two weeks mm -hmm. oh yeah that's, that's not horrible um that's because you've got uh, a lot of nectar coming in yes yeah and i haven't fed them now for the past two weeks and they're still backfilling so i don't know what they're getting it out of there's all kinds of strange things around here blooming that i've never seen before so i don't know what they are <laughs> <laughs> the bees I, things. So um, one of our listeners, Rachel from Australia, she's one of our yeah. Aussie friends, 
she commented on one of the Patreon posts here recently, and she was like, so why don't you just go ahead and break down and have Dr. Leo on the show, and he can tell you all about the forage in that area. And I was like, <laughs> oh, because he's not too far, is he? He's about two to three hours, eh, three to four hours. I don't know where he's in mid Missouri, I think. So he's about two and a half, three hours away minimum for me. Well, um, yeah. so that might or might not relate to where you're at. Well, that's what I said. I said, uh, some of the flowering plants will be in common, but the trees, even though we're all in the Ozarks, the trees transition. I have a lot of pine trees. I don't know. Um, but I know that like, cause I used to live up in Kansas city. I was uh, around Kansas city, Missouri and out in that area. And then several trips down to Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri and Branson and things like that. And the trees out there are not as much pine. pine. You've got lots of trees that turn pretty colors down here. We have some of those interdispersed, but we've got a lot of pine. We're in a, uh, it's a skinny pine. So they're the really tall ones that drop all the lower limbs and just have the stuff at the, at the canopy where they're actually as exposed to the sun. Um, we've got a lot of those. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of like the, like in central Texas, when you're heading out towards Bastrop, all of a sudden yeah. you hit this pine forest out of nowhere, right. yes. you know? So it's kind of like that. Yeah, so I'm familiar with that because I have customers or I had customers before I got overwhelmed closer to us. And I'm like, well, we're going to keep it closer to home. Yeah, I understand that and start reeling it in. <laughs> right. As you get more and more customers, you bring them closer to you. Yeah. Have you ever had to participate in the, I don't know if it's USDA, but it's the agricultural survey that they the government sends out. I've had to participate. Nope. No, no, no. This is straight from the government. Okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have. My papers are too far out of, out of reach to grab them and say specifically what it is, but I've had to participate in, what are we doing? Uh, in seven years of beekeeping, I've had to participate in two censuses for bees for agriculture. Right. And I've had to participate in two surveys um, one of them was a honey production survey last year, and the other one is a bee loss survey, kind of like the Bee Informed Partnership, but it, this is straight through the government. And I was like, it keeps track because I've done it before, so it knows what I was put in there before. So I had to make an explanation because <laughs> it was like last year was 50 some colonies. And then uh -huh. this year, it's like, how many colonies did you have between April and June? And I was like, two. <laughs> And then how many did you lose? Zero. Yeah, none. <laughs> right. And they're like, how did you go from 50 some to two and not lose any? <laughs> Sold them all. <laughs> well, you see, in April, I had no colonies. And that's what it says. Like on April 1st, how many colonies did you have? And I was like, none. On June, how many did you have? Two. <laughs> yeah, that probably skews their numbers quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. So I had to I had to put a little bit of explanation in there as to what had occurred. Um, well, anywho, uh, what's been going on in your neck of the woods? It finally rained and we're really happy with that. And it's just kind of, um, the bees are, you know, they had a, a small um, dearth where they contracted and backfilled a little bit. And, but apparently they're brooding back up uh, in several of our customer yards. And I'm just kind of like, you know, they know something we don't. And sure enough, we got some rain and I'm hoping that we're going to get more. There's a bunch of storms in the Gulf, right? So yeah, could be. Might not be that bad for them after all. It might not be. Good. 
And all my colonies are looking great. We've had basically, uh, except for a few mistakes, like, you know, um, one package install where the syrup leaked into the hive and the bees basically piled onto the bottom and suffocated because they couldn't get out. Yeah, and a couple of other things, but none due to health. We have lost nothing due to health. And we're up to managing about 300 plus right now. So we're pretty happy with that. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Except for those packages uh, in the spring, we have fed no bees either. Very cool. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I, uh, I, I hope that your rain and your cool front continues. Yeah, but I think it it's is relative. just barely the beginning of July. <laughs> I think everything is relative. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's relative to this week, maybe just this day. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So what yeah. are we talking about tonight? Well, we are talking about uh, Australia. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll boomerang back around there to my little comment about Rachel. And yep. there's there's two things. One is a very interesting concept that uh, I just kind of skimmed over accidentally. And then the other one is the more important one. So we'll start with the more important one. And this is something that honestly, you know, I probably should talk about on the main episode, Um, like actually put out an independent main episode and maybe have a couple of our Australian beekeepers come on and chat about their fears or concerns. Oh, yes. But uh, so in Two other times, and I don't, I don't, I don't even know where my phone's at. So unfortunately, I cannot directly quote anything here. Um, two other incidents in the past, many years ago, Australia has had a very close brush with the varroa mite, where they have come into customs, but they were caught immediately and eradicated, and kept Australia varroa mite safe and free. But right. just this last week, dun dun dun. Varroa mites were found inside an inspection colony, a monitor hive, basically, where they have up around the port so that they can check for anything that may be coming in. And they did find varroa mites there in New South Wales. Now, this is bad because this wasn't caught coming in. This was caught on a monitor hive that's already there. So they think that they have it caught. They think they have it quarantined and they think they have it, quote unquote, eradicated. But there's a lot of communication going out to beekeepers in that region where colonies may have to be destroyed and beekeepers are now in a panic. And it could be, unfortunately, it could be the beginning of the end for the last oasis where there were no varroa mites. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds pretty, um, pretty uh, terrifying for Australian beekeepers and they're really going to, I think it's in, uh, where a little bit north of Sydney is that Newcastle port where they discovered that they were some monitor hives that had caught on uh, and they can't tell if it been if it's been imported or anything like you said because they're just sitting there and and just all of a sudden some mites appeared and they're destroying all the mice uh, all the hives in their radius yep. and some of those beekeepers are going to lose millions worth, I mean uh, maybe not millions, but uh, one guy was saying a quarter of a million dollars um, yeah. was going to be his bill. And he's got no choice. They've got no choice. No, so. no. It's it's kind of like in America where if American foul brood is detected, everything must be burned and destroyed. And you have no choice. Bees, hives, equipment, tools, you name it, gone. And Australia has been the safe haven 
of not having any Veromite there for quite a while. And it's, it's literally, if not the last, it is one of the last refuges because the only other, like Iceland. Okay. Duh. <laughs> Greenland, you know, like, yeah, sure. They're not there. It's, it's very cold, <laughs> but right. Australia exactly. is, uh, is unfortunately they were one of the places that weren't and New Zealand was for a while, but then they came to New Zealand and it caused quite a big, downfall in beekeepers and the economy and agriculture and stuff there when it hit there. So Australia is bracing potentially for the worst because once it's out there, it's such a tiny little thing. It's hard to know, you know, whether or not it's spreading and where it's going and how long it's been there, because if it truly just shown up and it just happens to be in one of these two little monitor hives, that's one thing. But if it showed up and it went to a couple of feral colonies and then the feral colonies gave it to that hive, then you've got a bigger problem because the spread has already begun in that instance. So it could be very devastating, unfortunately. And I definitely feel for the beekeepers that are under these restrictions where they do have to go through and potentially destroy hives to mm -hmm. stop the spread so that it doesn't reach the rest of the continent. And that might show my ignorance, but I am looking at a map of Australia and I have no idea how those bees could have come through other than being imported. Right. Right. So what's going on with that? I thought they didn't allow imports of colonies of bees. But well, they, they don't. Yeah, they don't. But it doesn't mean that the colony didn't hijack a ride because that From does happen a lot. Oh, from a container, you mean? Right. Yeah. Where they were either on the physical shipment or in a container or, you know, like part of the vehicle itself. <laughs> you know, like there's all kinds of strange things. Bees like to get in odd places. So it could right. have been something along those lines, but it could have also been one of the previous instances where they had been detected and they thought they got them taken care of and they didn't. Like. So was reading an article and there was a uh, uh, Danny Lefauve uh, from the Australian Honeybee Industry Council that says that the mites that were detected in Queensland before they were less threatening because they were more associated with the Asian honeybees right. as opposed to the Vera destructor that's associated to, with the European honeybees that's what they've discovered in those hives this time which would be much more damaging right and they're talking about how this is just before the blueberry pollination um, happens and pretty soon the almond pollinations will take place as well. So this could potentially have a far reaching impact that goes beyond the beekeepers, but also affects the honey uh, industry, which is still related to the beekeepers themselves, but also the food industry in Australia. Right. Well, so hypothetically speaking, imagine if most of the colonies that were going to be doing the migratory pollination services were in a region that got quarantined. Mm -hmm. Even if they don't necessarily have the mites, if you're in a quarantined region and they say you cannot transport bees out of this region mm -hmm. because we're in fear of quarantine, all of those colonies can now not participate in the pollination services. Well, so contracts are going to be lost and, and right. you know there's their livelihood and then all that pollination as well there's circuit breakers just like for covid right right we've got to stop the the spread and, right and that's what they're trying to do so stop to, the to put this into perspective for non-aussies on patreon who are listening in the united states imagine if this happened in like december mm -hmm. and they quarantined florida and texas 
<laughs> the agriculture system would grind to a screeching halt because all of the colonies that are getting ready to go to almonds in January are in Florida and Texas at that time of year. So if you quarantine the right region at the wrong time, bad things happen. <laughs> well, and this kind of shows the magnifying factor of COVID too. We've all been hit with higher prices, disruptions of the supply chain, um, uh, gas prices, all kinds of things, right? And now you throw things that could have been handled fairly well. It's always kind of a problem, but you know it can be mitigated. Now all of a sudden it, it's, it's compounded and any, any issue uh, is that much more serious because those prices that were already high for the food and excuse me, transportation and the food industry, now they're going to skyrocket, right? They, so yeah. And everybody's going to pay for it. Sometimes, unfortunately, especially here in the United States, Sometimes that happens out of fear and panic before the actual problem yeah. causes any issues. So that could be, yeah, that could be a notorious for this. <laughs> <laughs> right. That could be another issue. Hopefully uh, Australia deals with that sort of thing way better than we do. But yeah, it, it is definitely a sad day in beekeeping news from that standpoint for certain. And one of the other aspects of it too, that's like, I don't know, it, it's kind of, well, it's disheartening, really, because it's awesome that they never had that issue. And here on Patreon, we we had went through and we had talked and done a couple of polls and stuff at one point about, you know, did we want to do a dedicated series of just Varroa specific information? And it was kind of torn one third, one third, one third. But, you know, some people didn't care. Mm-hmm. A third of them thought, yes, it's it's awesome. We should totally do that. And a third of them were like, I don't live in a place where Varroa exists, so I don't really feel like this pertains to me. But some of the people in that same country responded and said, yeah, but it's going to eventually happen. It's inevitable. It's been everywhere. We can only keep them out for so long. So, yeah, I want the information because I feel like inevitably I'm going to have to know, even though it's not here today. And that's actually it's kind of a good mindset. It's that whole prepare for the worst and hope for the best, because we're doing the same thing with triple alapse with another mite out there that is even worse than Varroa. It's not here, but we know where it is and we know that it's got very harmful tendencies. So we're already starting to observe it and learn from it and, you know, do the research on it so that when it does arrive, hopefully we can put up a better front. Well, there's a silver lining, right? I mean, it is the winter kind of season still, and they're, that kind of provides them with a much slower spread so they can intervene much more efficiently. There's also the fact that they've seen the rest of the world struggle with the viral mites, and they've been able to educate themselves. There's been programs teaching beekeepers in, in Australia how to detect and monitor for the mites. Uh, they're on the lookout, basically, and they've been educated. They also are benefiting um, beyond the warning signs, they're benefiting from the research that's been done on how to eradicate or control viral mites in other countries, what works, what doesn't, uh, potentially even up to chemical intervention, which you know I am not a proponent of. But if you look at it also, uh, the way of the US, the way it worked out, a lot of people did lose a lot of um, colonies of honeybees. I think it was 30% across the United States. For here, uh, yeah. Uh, it was yeah. worse in New Zealand. They lost yeah. way more than the United States did. Well, I think they lost uh, even up to 90% of their feral population, which we probably did in the feral population as well. But in the commercial or managed uh, colonies, I think it was about 30%. And I don't know, in New Zealand, was 
like you said, probably higher. I have no idea how much that was. But the point is that, um, you know, what happened is that you had some beekeepers that decided to go and uh, choose the evolution path or the survival path. And yes, they did lose basically hundreds and thousands of colonies, but what they were left with was resilient strains uh, that they were able to propagate. And they're now a huge success story and, and you know, just basically sell out every year of their bees and they're contributing to the repopulation of uh, the colonies of honeybees with resilient strains. And they're contributing to the research as well. So there is positive aspects to that. A lot of the, um, um, wisdom out there has been that if had we not chosen the chemical pathway 30 years ago and instead took the hard pill uh, and suffer from it for a couple three years our bees would be way beyond the varietal structure and there would be no need to treat anything at this point right because they would have developed resiliency and survival you know capabilities and how to um uh, mitigate the presence of the varroa, the ankle biters, the grooming, the um, capping and capping, um, all that stuff um, would have been sped up, basically. Yeah. Now, one of the other things, unfortunately, that speeds up when you introduce varroa into a new ecosystem is going to be mutations of already existing diseases and viruses and stuff that's out there. So one of the great case studies that we were able to witness was Hawaii, because in Hawaii, we have documented records predating Varroa, and then we have the records of when it hit, what happened, and then after the fact. And they, it just so happened, they were doing research and studying on the island of things such as deformed wing virus. And what they found was that when Varroa, well, before Varroa shown up, there were three to five strains of deformed wing virus. None of them were deadly. None of them actually would kill a colony. The colonies had kind of managed to evolve along with it. And, and it was a hindrance, but that was about it. And mm -hmm. after Varroa showed up, there was one mutated strain of deformed wing virus that became predominant and outcompeted all of the other strains to the point where that was the number one thing they found. And when it mutated to do that, it became deadly to the colonies. So it is a nasty, evil little red parasite. <laughs> it can cause some issues for sure outside of just the normal, oh, well, you know, it's it's transmitting these diseases and making the bees sick. But in the process of doing that, it's allowing the diseases themselves to mutate and evolve. And, and so everything, everything has to grow and learn at that point. Well, and it's always an arms race between the parasites and the, the hosts. And what really um, is in the interest of the parasite is to and the host as well is to reach a balance. And this is where survival versus resistance is going to be um, tolerance versus resistance is going to be uh, uh, favoring uh, the health of the honeybee, right? You want them to be able to live in conjunction with those viruses, even in high titers of those viruses, but yet thrive and yeah. act like there's nothing wrong with it. And that disease might not express itself even though there's a high level of the virus in the colony. So, you know, again, that's using the evolution and survival of the colonies is what's gonna promote tolerance versus resiliency. Um, which is resistance, which is, you know, kind of decreasing the number of mites in the population of bees, the, the levels of the mites themselves and the viruses that they're transmitting. So moral of the story, 
Australia. Mm -hmm. If you haven't done your homework, go out there and start doing some reading on Varroa mites. And you know what? Even though you may be in a part of the country that hopefully at the moment is safe from even the potential issue of it, it might not hurt to kind of brush up on some of the how to actually test for mites and do a mite count and have that information handy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the symptoms? What's the life cycle of the viral mites? And um, remember that the beekeepers tend to um, want larger populations so that they can produce more honey. And so they prevent brood breaks. They like to constantly either feed or promote a population of bees into their colonies. Remember that when you do that, you are offering more opportunities for the mites to reproduce and, and multiply. If you let the colonies follow the natural cycles of weather and forage, where they come across brood breaks during the thirst, then you give them an opportunity to use that cleansing cycle to decrease the populations of pheromites. And it's something to keep in mind, right? Food for thoughts. That's right. And if you want to start practicing actually doing mite checks and mite counts, you can use the sugar shake method, which will not kill your bees. It will not harm the bees, but it will give you an idea of how to do the process and also heaven forbid let you know if your colony might actually be one that was exposed and has anything mm-hmm. in it so if you happen to be around that new south wells area why not hurt to go out there and do that <laughs> just to know yeah. better safe than sorry knowledge is power and being forewarned is the best and it, it, my phone over there is ringing oh you found your phone <laughs> no it's a different phone that's the computer phone <laughs> I don't know oh, why wow. it's ringing at seven o'clock at night, but I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> you said nothing, we would have heard it. I, I barely heard it. Well, it, it luckily it stopped. And uh, I think, I don't know, actually with the mic, the mic, since it's uh, straightforward as far as what it picks up, unidirectional, instead of omnidirectional. Unidirectional, yeah. Um, the, the phone's far enough away. I don't know if I was talking. If I wasn't talking, it might not have picked it up, but sometimes it does. I'll see if there's like a clink or a thud somewhere, I'll see the, the little sound bar spike and register for a second yep. on the mic. So right. we shall see. Um, but anyhow, so there's the scary news. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> don't have nightmares. It's better to be warned and, and just on the lookout than being caught off guard. Yes, absolutely. So to end on a happier note, You hear us talk often about beekeeping can help with things, especially like PTSD. And Mm -hmm. I've mentioned before that beekeeping also helps with people that have any type of mental handicaps or disabilities. Mm -hmm. And now um, there was a story that also came out of Australia. So I thought this was fitting. A young gentleman by the name of Logan, I believe. And again, phone's not here, so I can't verify that. Mm -hmm. um, Had dyslexia Mm -hmm. and had trouble in school was struggling and his teachers were trying to find a way to get him to engage and connect and it coincidentally came to be found that he had a huge interest in honeybees his teacher knew that he loved nature and loved the outdoors and things like that she tried to use the dog that he had just gotten at one point as a means to kind of get that communication going and find common ground but she mentioned in passing one day that she had a colony of bees and he just lit up and he loved honeybees and was fascinated with them to the point that that year for Christmas, he asked his folks if they could get him some hives. And so he started off with two colonies and he is now 14. It is two years later. And that young child has 45 colonies now. Oh, wow. 
of bees. So that aspect of it almost sounds a little bit like Blake Shook to me. <laughs> started mm-hmm. off, started off with a small handful, and then within a couple of years had like an outrageous amount of bees. Um, but he is managing them. He's not even old enough to drive, so his parents shuttle him around and take him to the different bee yards that he has that are spread uh, amongst friends and family in the oh. small little community that he lives in. The community itself is only about eight thousand people, I think. Um, so it's not a very big place. And I'm just looking at the fact that he's also a business guy. He's smart. He's doing he is now. Rent a hive kind That's of right. Thing. He yeah. started doing pollination services where he will take his bees to farms and he charges per hive to do so and will help pollinate crops and stuff. So yeah, smart little guy just needed to find that little thing that sparked his interest and got him engaged. And dyslexia is something that can be a pain in the butt. And I was diagnosed with that when I was younger in grade school. And I ended up kind of figuring out on my own accord how to counteract it, right? Like circumvent it. So reading was a little bit of a challenge and I definitely didn't like reading out loud. And you'll still hear me sometimes when I do start to read something, if I haven't pre-read it a couple of times, it's not Mm -hmm. gonna come out very smooth. I, I might stumble over stuff because my eyes and my brain will jump three or four words ahead and switch them right. and move them. And one of the young kids that we actually fostered at one point, he was dyslexic and his was really bad. His would take like every other letter and just mix it all up. And it, so he had a lot of trouble going through and doing that. But with me, one of the things like with math, with numbers, there's a little voice in my head that if I read the number, the voice in my head that reads it, reads it wrong. And I've learned to know that that specific voice in that instance is a liar. So if I look at a number and I say it's 761, the voice in my head will be like, no, 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 it was 716. And I'm like, no, no, it wasn't. And I'll go back and double check. And, and, and so I've kind of learned how to, how to manipulate that for myself and make it work. But there's new research out there that is actually showing that dyslexia, even though it has been touted as such a, a learning disability and causing problems from that aspect, they're only looking at things like reading and mathematics. But when they started taking other, right. But when they started taking other things into context, they found that people that have that issue excel in the natural environment with being able to find clues, pick up on traits and follow patterns way quicker and easier than somebody who does not have dyslexia. So it's a survival trait that benefits other aspects of your life. Maybe not just necessarily reading or math. So Kudos to young Logan who found bees and it's helping him to come out of his shell and evolve. And um, it sounds like he has the same problem that most beekeepers do. In his instance, he isn't a very talkative individual, but if you get him talking about bees, he won't quit. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so it's kind of like my shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying, but I just really want to talk about bees. <laughs> All I want to talk about is bees. Yes, right. <laughs> so yeah. So shout out to Logan. That is awesome. Uh, if anybody out here on Patreon happens to know the young individual, definitely let him know that we think that he's awesome and uh, he should listen to the podcast. <laughs> that's right. Congratulations, Logan, on being a successful beekeeper and growing so fast. Yeah, careful with that one. It's a slippery slope. (laughs) You can tell he's already addicted. He's already hooked. So (laughs) yeah, 14 and 45 hives. So yeah, he's going to do good. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, I think we will end on the the happy note as opposed to any other news that is not so happy. So 
hopefully again, uh, take it as a forewarning, um, you know, alarm bells are going off in certain regions of Australia for very good reasons. So brace yourselves. It could be rough next year, especially if things don't get contained and under control, but do the research, do the reading and do your homework and be prepared because being prepared is really most of the battle when some things like that occur. Right. So there you go, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed and we look forward to talking to you again next week, but until then, as always be good. And be mindful. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.